0: Hey, it's Jake. You're about to hear a free preview of something from FogelNest Plus, the podcast platform and online streaming service run entirely by me, Jake FogelNest. To get instant access to hundreds of episodes, visit www.jake.army and sign up at the tier of your choice on Patreon. Enjoy the show. Okay, Mr. Mix. Olivia, your dad was Harry Nilsson, and you know it's very interesting. I'm I'm always like, how do you describe who Harry Nilsson is to somebody that perhaps might not know who Harry Nilsson is?
1: There's um, a line my siblings and I sometimes say that's um, like a Simpsons quote, we're talking about um, that time that Lisa Simpson became a vegetarian. And uh, she was describing to Homer all the different kinds, do you know this quote? She's talking about all the different kinds of food that come from pigs. So she's like bacon and ham and and he doesn't believe it's all one animal. And he's like, yeah, right, Lisa, like one magical animal. (laughs) And we think of that when we think about my dad because there's so many different parts of his career that are so different from each other. And people are always surprised that it's the same person who did like you know like that book along without you that doesn't sound like the same guy who did coconut or you know some like it's so <laughs> <That's>, different right <laughs> yeah
0: that's i mean so like i you know realized that when it comes to harry Nilsson, that harry Nilsson has always been a part of my life that you know <clears throat> obviously he sang everybody's talking the theme to midnight cowboy but then in Goodfellas, uh, you know, the great song that starts that sequence, Jump into the Fire. That's Harry Nelson. And, yeah. and then I'm a huge Monkees fan. And it's like, who wrote, you know, obviously the Monkees wrote uh, a, a lot of their own music but they also had great contrib- contributions from Boyce and Hart and Neil Diamond and your dad who wrote yeah. Cuddly Toy. So um, he's always been there, you know, and um, at some point, I think in the late '90s, I sort of put it all together, and was like, "Oh, it's this guy's. This is Harry Nelson. He's he's brilliant." Um, and then it became um, like sort of an obsession. Like, let me pick up every Harry Nelson record that I can have, because he's done so much, and. Um, one of the things I, I, I want to go through like his his whole career with you, but one thing that I, I, I want to talk about specifically is, you know, you're sort of doing this wonderful thing right now, which is evangelizing your dad's music um, for on social media, and just in the media in general. Um, how How do you get that uh, gig? Uh, how did you fall into <laughs> being the person that speaks for your father? Well, I think a lot of the people in my
1: family,, um, you know, we love our dad's music and we're the biggest fans in the world, and obviously, we love him as a person. Um, but we didn't talk about him publicly that much. Like um, and for for me personally, I just, unless I was speaking with a closer friend, I didn't talk about that aspect of my life. And I I think I examined that once I hit my mid thirties and realized that might be the childhood grief that was stopping me from speaking about it. So I kind of like processed that, sorry to get too heavy. So I was processing that and then realized that like, I love talking about him. And there's people out there who love listening to him still. And I wanna connect with those people and I wanna put out you know, all that good Nelson energy into the world and remind people of some of the amazing things she did and you know, not be so quiet about it anymore. So I started uh, with Twitter and then Instagram and TikTok's been a, a newer thing. And TikTok's the first time I've put my face to it. So before yeah. I was always, I, I didn't wanna put my name or face to it because I was still trying to be more private you know, personally. But TikTok doesn't really work that way. Like people respond better when you, you know, show your real self and more like authenticity. So uh, I just started doing it and I identified myself, you know, by name a little bit and uh, yeah, it's taken off from there.
0: It's yeah, we, we could have a whole other conversation, uh, the tick tock algorithm and how tick tock works is uh, uh, almost as deep and fascinating as your father's uh, uh, body of work <laughs> and career that's a whole other thing but, um, but I yeah I've your father started out, I guess, as one of these great songwriters in Los Angeles in the early 1960s,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, you Know even before he got, you know, the record deal, um with RCA, um, you know, where, where you you put out the the first record, he did like could you tell me about the 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 like kind of early singles that he released? Because I always find it interesting mm-hmm. with Lou Reed, um was like a staff songwriter for Pickwick. So he would they'd be like, write a song about this, and then he would just bang those out. And I think your dad yeah. was part of that too. Yeah, that's right. And
1: uh, he was trying to, um, he had a, a day job that was really a night job. He was working at a, a bank, at an comu- early computer center at a bank overnight. And then when his shift would end there, he would write songs in the wee hours of the morning. And then during the day, he would try to play those songs for people and introduce himself to people in the industry. And you know that person introduces him to someone else and you know, he gets connections. Um, but he was just um, just hustling. And until he met uh, this man, Perry Bodkin Jr., who had a small music publishing firm and hired him, like you were describing with Lou Reed, just hired him to write songs. So like he had a a weekly retainer to write songs. And I think he had some great creative output there, like songs like Without Her, um, that he wrote while uh, working with Perry Bodkin.
0: And wasn't there like a release where, uh, you know, where like the A side was some like, write this, we think it'll be a hit, but the B side, you can do whatever you want with, and uh, situations like that?
1: I'm blanking on which song that might be referring to, but I think there was some stuff like that. And he um, was introduced to some people in the industry, like Phil Spector, and he co-wrote some songs with him during that period just before he was signed with RCA. He worked with a guy called John Mariscalco who had worked with Little Richard and they did like Little Richard style songs that they wrote yeah. together. Um, yeah, and I think he, um, his voice appeared on record without his name several times. Like um, there was just an alias. Uh, like I think it was...
0: Little Bo Pete. Yeah, so he, yeah. <laughs> but he was, but he was definitely just like part of that um, time period in California where it, it, you know I guess you, the Wrecking Crew, that whole you know scene. You know he yeah. was there, but he hadn't like sort of broken through yet. I yeah. love the song um, by uh, you know originally by I guess Modern Folk Quartet, and I I just realized recently I'm like oh this could be the night is a yeah. harry nelson song and yeah i know phil specter's names on it but i listen to that song <laughs> and i go this is harry nelson doing a beach boys song
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's probably right um that song i remember hearing that as a kid and not realizing like i i just i didn't realize that wasn't a super well-known song because I was familiar with it and it sounded so perfect for that time period. And I just thought that was like a standard song everyone knew. I didn't realize later that it's like really rare.
0: Yeah, that's a great song. And then, um, yeah, how does like Cuddly Toy, which um, I'm sorry, I, pref- I love the monkeys, but I prefer your your dad's <laughs> version. Um, but how does, yeah, at, at some point he lands some songs with the monkeys, cut, you know, Cuddly yeah. Toy, jumps to mind. That was probably his
1: big break. That was the moment in which he was like, I can make a living doing this because he had been trying to break into the industry for years at that point. But once they decided to record Cuddly Toy, that made all the difference. So he quit his job at the bank and focused on music uh, full time. And he started a lifelong friendship with Mickey Dolan uh, from those first days of like playing demos for the monkeys so that they would try to, you know, so that they would pick one of his songs until the, the end of his life.
0: I want to talk about uh, uh, Mickey <laughs> later on uh because he's just he's just the best um it's, it's very interesting your dad he was like a he had an aptitude for computers he's a computer programmer right yeah I, I think more or less like this would be pretty rudimentary as far as i
1: understand um sure. but he was he was very talented mathematically and he didn't have a lot of formal education but he just knew math very intuitively wow. so i think that the computer thing um came pretty easily to him because i think he Didn't get much further than like ninth grade in high school. He dropped out of high school. So, um, but he could do, I don't know if you've you've heard this maybe, but he could do this math trick in his head where if you told him when you were born, like your birth date, he could tell you the day of the week that it was by doing a, a calculation in his head just almost instantly. He actually tried to teach me that I have a memory of him trying to teach me the, the steps of the equation, but I, I was pretty young, so it went way over my head.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, math, it, it's very interesting because uh, I can see the correlation between being very, very good at math and being a very great <laughs> songwriter. Um, mm-hmm. And But I, he is in the tradition of uh, computer programmers who are great songwriters, also Elvis Costello. <laughs> so, ah. um, But so... so so I guess let's just talk about like R C like the the first album comes out on RCA and that's a, a Homium Shadow Show is is the first is yeah the first like big record yeah. and then I guess the most amazing thing that could happen to an artist at that time the record comes out I think 1967 mm-hmm. could there be anything better than Derek Taylor, who is the Beatles publicist and, and um, like hearing it and going, well, the lads, I think they're going to like this. They must hear this record. Yeah. Can you just talk about that? Just the early relationship with your dad, his first record on RCA and the Beatles.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that was huge. And he was a big Beatles fan his, his whole life. He remained a Beatles fan. So that was huge, you can imagine, just for a fan starting out as a musician and to have your idols tell you that they like what you're doing. And I think I read a John Lennon quote once saying that he listened to that album in like a 36-hour marathon, and at this time, the album was not widely known, and he was like, I think I've listened to that more than anyone else has listened to it, like, collectively.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, there's the great, I mean, there's the great story about like, you know, Derek Taylor gives the the record to basically all, you know, each Beatle and yeah. he gets a phone call. He, he got like a phone call from John. Yes, Yeah. And I think because of the time difference, it was
1: either like wee hours of the morning, very early in the morning. My dad was sleeping when the phone rang and he, I think he thought it was a, someone teasing him, but it was, yeah. it was Lennon. Yeah. Um, and I think he got, a succession of calls I think Paul called uh, as well and just to tell him that they liked what he was doing so that was a huge confidence booster and then he got to go out to England and meet them I think they were recording at Abbey Road during that time so he got to sit in on some sessions got to meet his heroes um, and started you know friendships with them too.
0: Yeah and, and those those friendships carry on and so it's just like wow you know you go from you know, a songwriter who's like, wow, I got one, uh, you know, done by the monkeys and stuff. And and then all of a sudden, okay, the the Beatles are asked, you know, my favorite group who they ask, who's your favorite group right now? And they say, Nilsen. Yeah, (laughs) that's quite an endorsement. Um, And the thing that I love about um, your father's uh, music and each album is the guy really Changes with each mm. album. There is, it, it, there is, you know. Did that drive his label crazy, or it, I just yeah. think it could never happen today? Yeah,
1: it, he he definitely started his own path. I think it did drive the label crazy at times. Um, I think Randy Newman said it was like Randy Newman felt that he, as a songwriter, and my dad, as a songwriter, had both just broken off from what pop and rock were doing at that time and just they were their own genus their own species um as if i think randy newman's quote is like it's as if the rolling stones didn't exist they were just doing their own thing they weren't copying what the prevailing trends were but obviously he changed so much he listened to that early the early 60s music he's trying on different voices different kind of personas um, and really hit a sweet spot with the production with Rick Gerard at RCA and just like Baroque pop stuff, the choir boy vocals, just gorgeous. And then you compare that to what he was uh, doing by the early mid 70s and he's gone in this rock direction and just really letting his creativity do whatever it wanted to do and having so much fun uh, doing it. And I think he kept evolving as an artist, even to his last albums. Like I always point to Knilson, which I believe came out in 77 or 78 it's and it's a,
0: it's almost gorgeous. a totally different artist than mm-hmm. uh, you know the the, the 1967 Nilsson yeah. and and i, I you know it, it's just his commitment to just following his artistic muse has always been very fascinating to me um and i guess sometimes it was more commercially successful but then but, but it, it it seemed like just cut from his own cloth, did not care about that. Didn't care about the, <laughs> the commercial performance of a thing. Um, yeah. And certainly didn't follow any trends. Like um, when you listen to uh, those those first early albums, like um, what do they sound like? Do they sound like Simon and Garfunkel? Do they sound like um, the birds? The no, they sound, in Only exceptionally like Harry Nelson.
1: Yeah, I think it's a real like through line from like Tim Penn Alley, Great American Songbook stuff, or like 1920s stuff through just how he thought about music. And obviously, we see that later with um, A Little Touch of Schmelzen in the Night when he covered Great American Songbook songs, and that was really important to him. But even in those early albums, I see some influence from that that you don't necessarily see in other 60s artists. Yeah, so there was this nostalgia that he had for the songs that his mom would have listened to and what he heard growing up in the 40s in New York.
0: But in such a modern way. And there's the great um, quote about, you know, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know who the reviewer was, but, you know, oh, this is such a great album, but he should have credited the backup singers. Yes. And, you know, the, obviously he was the backup singers.
1: Yeah, I think he found a lot of creative satisfaction from just recording a lot of different takes, harmonizing with himself. And he loved just being in the studio and helping put that all together. That was really satisfying for him.
0: Yeah, your dad, you you, you know, it's, it's a thing that gets said a lot, but like, oh, they use the, the studio as an instrument. But it's very interesting your dad comes in at this time, Harry Nelson comes in at this time where, there are eight tracks to play with and then 16 tracks and he really Mm -hmm. used the studio and um you know obviously um nilsson schmelzen which comes out in i think 72 or whatever is just an enormous commercial hit and i love the footage that exists of um him with richard perry it just looks like a a couple of guys who are at the top of their game in the 70s, in the music industry, making a record. Like, yeah. um, can you talk about just his relationship with Richard Perry, the music producer? Cause he just, he, that guy looks like a music producer from the 70s. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. And I think great credit to him. He produced Milson Schmilson and Son of Schmilson and brought so much to the process. I think people who were there, that he was able to corral some of my dad's more like outlandish stuff and he added some more discipline to the sessions he was definitely one for recording a million takes he loved doing that so i think they were simpatico in in terms of that process like just wanting to there's a um a a track on son of schmilson called take 54 that's kind of riffing on that idea of like (laughs) how many takes are we going to do richard uh, but they both loved that, just trying to get the perfect take and putting things together. But they were they were close friends. Uh, they had a great working relationship after son of schmilson they, they parted ways because my dad really wanted to do the standards album a little touch of schmilson the night and i think that was upsetting to richard perry because he was like look we've got a good thing going here we yeah. can do so much more in the, in the pop genre why are you going back to these standards
0: well also just like i mean let's talk about it a little bit, a bit because it's just like um i think it's well known and well documented your dad was a little nuts uh, in in the best way, you know. Yeah. But he has this huge hit album, Grammy yeah. winning album, huge selling album with uh, Nielsen Schmilson, "Without You," um, uh, and and jumping through the fire and coconut. I mean, it is just a uh, amazing album. Now, I also I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan. I love Son of Schmilson as well. But mm-hmm. is there anything less commercial after you've done this big hit album than to do? Uh, you know a song that has the f word in it that can't be played <laughs> you're breaking my heart great song classic yeah song, but yeah like you know S- S- son of schmilson is is an interesting record because <laughs> it is uh, i gotta ask because i'm just super curious son of dracula um yeah. How did this thing happen for people that don't know son of Dracula is a movie where yeah. Harry Nelson plays Dracula's son um, who's into rock and roll and Ringo Starr is in it. It's like, how does this movie get made? How does it exist? And why is it it not out now? Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure. I've, I've heard that it's not going to see the light of day, um, but. i mean i think it's on youtube so it's on you yeah listeners can can check it out um but i it's hard to believe but what my dad said is that the album son of schmilson that has a dracula themed cover and the son of uh, dracula movie both evolved independently um and yeah and I, i know it's hard to believe but that when ringo approached my dad to say do you want to star in this rock and roll dracula picture um he was like oh great like because i just i'm doing this vampire theme with my new album Senator of Schmilsen. like this is perfect and he's like oh what you are like he didn't know that he was already going into this this vampire thing so that's apparently the story um but you know and then later we get the hollywood vampire era era so you're definitely like yeah. seeing a vampire we, theme here
0: can we talk <laughs> about that a little bit that's a that's a uh yeah. of you know the hollywood vampires is not a, a cover band. Uh, I mean, it is a cover band, but it, the, the cover band originates from this great drinking club that mm-hmm. your dad was a part of. Um, mm-hmm. And who who are who are the who are the official Hollywood vampires? I think I
1: might miss all the names, but definitely Alice Cooper and Mickey Dolan, uh, Keith Moon, my dad, sometimes John Lennon if he was in town um and then there was kind of a a wider group including like I think Albert Brooks was around a lot during that period that's amazing yeah um I know that they had a friendship during that time and um I I heard something about how I don't think my dad was in it but um that group the larger group had like a baseball team like a softball team or something that they played in during the 70s and Albert Brooks was in that with
0: um, Cooper, that 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 blows my mind. Your dad was uh, pretty athletic. Uh, uh, um, yeah, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll hold that. But hold on a second. I, you know, I've never. I, I forgive me. I'm not Curtis Armstrong. Um, uh, <laughs> Curtis Armstrong, uh, who's an amazing actor for Moonlighting, Revenge of the Nerds, and and uh, <laughs> he's sort of like um, an, an expert on your dad. Yeah, uh, he's mm-hmm. written liner notes. It's just, it's just interesting. Yeah, but, but Albert Brooks that makes so sense. I mean, I never thought about it, but it would make sense to me that your dad would have a friendship with Albert Brooks.
1: And I think I'm going to have to go find it, but on one of Albert Brooks's comedy records from that time, I think my dad is on one of the tracks, like probably not credited, but, um,
0: he's definitely on it.
1: I'll, I'll find that. And, uh, and
0: I, you. Yeah, I, I have both of the Albert Brooks's comedy records and uh, that came out and I, I, the idea that like, it makes sense because they, I think they're both um, similar in spirit. Uh, Albert Brooks, you know, this is a guy who is just only makes the movies that he wants to make and he makes them when they're ready and stuff. And your dad, the same. I think they're artistically, kindred spirits um mm-hmm. so obviously they yeah they you know they did a lot of drinking it's it's well documented john lennon's lost mm-hmm. weekend and um mm-hmm. and, and and we know all those stories but but what uh, with albert, you bringing up albert brooks what was you know your dad's relationship to comedy um i think he loved comedy
1: and one of his favorite comedians was lenny bruce i've um i have some lenny bruce records of my dad that he held on to. And I think I've heard uh, his friends have said that he just had all these Lenny Bruce routines memorized. So if you're sitting drinking with Harry Nelson he would just go into uh, a Lenny Bruce routine. Um, and he loved Money Python. Um, he was very close friends with Graham Chapman. Um, that make, and yes. Eric, Eric
0: Idle. And Eric Idol did that um beautiful song about yeah. <laughs> your dad, which is which opens <laughs> one of his albums, right? It's- yeah,
1: so I think it was my dad's album Flash Harry, which I think came out around nineteen eighty. Yeah. Around the the Popeye era. Um and Eric Idol had re- recorded, you know, this this little track um about my dad, this this Harry song. And yeah, he um my dad put it on the record. <laughs> I think my also, dad had had he had covered um always look on the bright side of life, so I think it was like a response to that. They were each um, doing something musically for each other.
0: Unbelievable! And I think your your dad was also like you know occasionally uh, when Monty Python were doing live shows, they would have the 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 lumberjack. They'd have somebody mm-hmm. come in. I think your dad did that one time. Appeared on stage, uh, and fell yeah. and fell off the stage. Unfortunately, <laughs> Did you know that Oh, well, <laughs> I see. <laughs> I so see. he
1: I, he was trying to reach um, over to shake a fan's hand, and he, tumb- <laughs> he and he tumbled into the orchestra pit. But I think the pythons were a bit annoyed with him because he didn't stay
0: in character as a lumberjack. He was oh, kind of like, I can imagine John Cleese <laughs> is still holding a grudge about that. I just uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I was curious. Yeah, and and of course, there's a very famous story which has been uh, gone on. Over and over again, and I uh, about uh, John Lennon and and, and Harry Nelson uh, going to the Troubadour to see the Smothers Brothers mm-hmm. and stuff, and um, you know they. I think most of the blame lies there with uh, with John. <laughs> um, oh, I think you know they were
1: they were both uh, over twenty one, and <laughs> I think my, yes. my my dad my dad had some line about like I wasn't I wasn't shoving foul liquids down his throat like these were. You know, <laughs> choices that each each man made, but it, it definitely, that association with Lennon and that um, incident which made headlines, uh, my dad said later, that incident ruins my reputation for 10 years, get one wow. Beatle drunk and look what happens. Yeah, wow. so I think the public perception of him as his music wasn't charting anymore, he became known as just someone who got drunk with John Lennon, and so I think that was hard later um, to have that you know that stigma or
0: just like to, to be labeled as, as just that wow well no he wasn't far from someone who just got drunk with john lennon in fact they made a brilliant album together they um, did yeah Uh called pussycats which is um which is a a, 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 a how, how did that record sort of come together it's it's phil Spector. is it's produced by john lennon but i think phil Spector was around like he he was around because lennon was in la recording what became the rock
1: and roll album oh right he, he, yeah and um he was like contractually obligated to record these songs uh because right. of some so of alan, a lawsuit that it cuz a yeah. great
0: guy named uh alan alan klein uh or oh something. right but, and he had the, like yeah, I think it was that Lennon was contractually he was sued for something. And then the mm-hmm. guy put out the record with an 800 number. It's a bunch, there's a bunch of, you, you can go down that rabbit hole, yeah. but eventually John, basically John Lennon says, I want to produce a Harry Nelson record. Um, and they make this beautiful album, Pussycats. And, yeah. Uh, but it was, a, I, I believe a tough session.
1: Yeah. um, So this session famously is when my dad suffered a lot of damage to his vocal cords and his voice never fully recovered from that, which is, you know, it's really tragic because when you listen to the range that he had earlier in his career, he wasn't able to achieve that range after this. And I think the vocals he was putting up are very raw on that record. It's interesting to look when that record's been re-released and they've put out like previously unreleased demos and you can hear different versions of the songs, maybe when his voice was in different shape um it's really interesting to compare and contrast uh it's a very cool album um a lot of uh, fun people played on it and i think having that nelson-lennon partnership like that's that's a great moment in, in music history um, but there is that sadness too because uh his his voice was so damaged um with the, him and lennon screaming into the microphone and just all sorts of uh debauchery is,
0: i mean is it true that like Nilsson sang so hard that like blood was left on the microphone is that
1: yeah that's true and it's it's, he went to see a doctor who was like a um ENT or something like that but like um a doctor who specialized in musicians voices and had treated a lot of other um musicians and he actually was nervous to go to the appointment this is during the pussycat session he was nervous to go so he brought everyone with him so oh, wow. Lennon's Lenin's there and I think Mickey Dolans and Klaus Bormann is there and you know, Klaus is an artist. So he actually drew a sketch of them all at the doctor's office and my dad being being examined um, and by, by this doctor who told him you can't speak you can't do anything. You need to rest your voice. And so I don't think uh, he adhered to the doctor's instructions, but they did have a couple days where this crowd of people, because they were all like living in a house together, like roommates yeah. during this time, and they, they went around um, writing notes to each other because they because Harry couldn't speak, and so they all were communicating like by... in a so- in solidarity. In solidarity
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of thing?
1: yeah, like Klaus Foreman tells the story of them going into a store because my dad needed to buy some pants. And the entire interaction with the salesperson was written down on little uh, note cards. Like in solidarity with my dad, none of them. were
0: so. That's so sweet. I mean, it's it's like you know, you know, when you hear when you when you think about that time period of this group of people that were all, you know, amazing uh, artists, rock stars, um, and you know, yes, they were drunkenly carousing and stuff, but there's a, I feel and. and you know, there's an innocence around it. Like when you think about drunken, carousing rock stars in 1973, you could go to a lot of dark places and there could be a lot of dark stories behind it. But with the stories of, you know, the, the Hollywood vampire that Hollywood vampires group, like. They were just being drunk and fun and, and, um, you know, not hurting anyone, maybe just hurting themselves, but Mm -hmm. It's not like um, you know. It's, and i and I'm. I never like to you know uh, look at things like it's 2022 now. This was whatever 1972. Apply 1972 things. But even you, if you even look at it, you hear the stories of that. There's no. They were drunk. They were b- being uh, crazy. I mean, your dad very famously like there was a, he would show up at people's houses. <laughs> and uh be like hey let's uh, go get a drink and then you would never know like uh like with mickey like um yeah it would one day could turn into three days but you're on this great adventure he um he, he had a good friend who
1: was the songwriter jimmy webb and jimmy told a story about how my dad once asked hey can i borrow your new car <laughs> and he's like sure harry he drove it across the country <laughs> and he, uh, he sent it back on a like flatbed uh, on a, a train, like strapped to this um, flatbed on a train. And it came back, he paid to have it uh, refurbished, but it, it was trashed.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like, um, you know, all the stories that you hear about Harry Nelson is just like, oh yeah, he, he, was, he was crazy, but he was a class act about it, you know? <laughs> like, yes, can I borrow your yeah. car, your new car? Drives across country, but he does pay <laughs> to have it. Like I, I recognize. Yeah. Like, um, he, yeah. there, just there was a sense of uh, of decency with your dad. Yeah. I'm very fascinated by this idea that, like, um, yeah, because the the other records, which I think now people have started to revisit, um, the idea that one bad article w- with a beetle, I can look at this through a 2022 lens. The idea of that hurting someone's career for 10 years in the news cycle that we live in today, that would be like forgotten. But in that 10 years, he made some great records. He he made some really great records. He
1: made a few more records and he started working on other creative projects like um, the music for the movie Popeye. Yes. Things like that. And then around 1980, he, said he was a retired musician and he didn't make any like studio albums during that time. Uh, but he was still working on some creative projects and then kind of near the end of his life started recording again.
0: Let's, let's talk about Popeye for a second because um, that had to be nuts. I've read a lot about uh, the making of Popeye, uh, Robert Altman, Malta, Robin Williams, Robert Evans, a lot of guys named Bob. <laughs> being crazy and um and your your dad and every just like what do you what can you tell me about just the making of uh the Popeye soundtrack well it's...
1: I think he he loved working on it um if you read Bob Evans's book the Kid stays in the Picture he has some great anecdotes about Malta and the craziness of Malta but um, my dad was married to my mom at that time and they had uh, two sons and they all went over to malta so and van dyke parks um and his wife they had a child while they were living on malta so there was like a family uh atmosphere going on as well as um maybe some more uh, that craziness. is so <laughs> lo-
0: that's so lovely yes of course um and uh, van dyke parks is um for uh, gosh I, I can't imagine anybody listening to this or, or, or who doesn't know who Van Dyke Parks is? But just in case, there's one person: uh, Van Dyke Parks, a brilliant uh, songwriter, arranger, has some great albums of his own. Song cycle. Um, he wrote uh, "Smile" with uh, Brian Wilson. Mike Love very famously was like, "Column made it ruins Domino. What does this mean?" And like, you know, Van Dyke <laughs> Parks quit. But he's he's brilliant. He he still puts out music to the state. You dad did a lot of work with uh, Van Dyke parks that what was their relationship like I
1: think they were very close friends and they had a, a beautiful and fruitful musical partnership because Van Dyke is a musical genius yeah and um my dad was not a formally trained musician so Van Dyke really filled in a lot of the gaps for him if my dad came to him with a song idea and he's like here's how I hear it in my head but I don't know how to like write the music for all the instruments we're gonna need to make that sound. Van Dyke Van Dyke sometimes would call himself, I was Harry's musical secretary, <laughs> but he's a yeah. lot more than that. But, but he was, you know, the arranger of so many of these uh, beautiful songs, especially in the, the second half of my dad's career and, you know, worked extensively on Popeye. So um, yeah, they, they were very, they had a, a mind meld. They, they really worked well together.
0: It's very interesting because I I I personally discovered like Van Dyke Parks I think um, before I even sort of like made the the deep connection of like oh no no you need to own every Harry Nilsson album you need to know (laughs) know everything about this artist because I had gotten like um, I think Song Cycle I forget what the other one is called but I I had gotten those records probably out of the uh, Pet Sounds obsession that um, I think anyone our age is sort of legally required to go through. Like, <laughs> right. I, I don't know if it's a, uh, if Capitol records has a, a deal with uh, the government, <laughs> but you go through a pet sounds period, it's, it's a thing, it happens. You just, and and you love that record forever. Um, but, you know, they, you know your dad had really special relationships with a lot of artists. Let, let's talk about um, Mickey Dolan's the best. And they, Harry and Mickey had a, it seems to me, they had also a special bond.
1: Yeah, and just were friends for decades, just from the very beginning of my dad's career. And they're both young men um, till the very end. So they they were really close friends. And um, Mickey did a sweet thing where he took um, an old demo that my dad had recorded. And he like layered his vocal on top of it, like a duet. Um, This came out of maybe 2016 or so. On, on a monkey's record, so it was yeah nice to, to hear their voices melding again.
0: Harry Nilsson sort of stops recording in 1980, and then is he home? Like what, what what was he sort of doing during that period? And you know you know that, I don't want to get too much into you, your your personal uh, life and stuff. It's not therapy, um, but I am <laughs> curious. Like you know what. Um, one of the things I know that he did was after the tragic uh, death of John Lennon is your your father became really early on a gun control activist. Yeah. Yeah. That was really important to him. And
1: he became involved with an organization called the National Coalition to Ban Handgun Violence. And um, although he had been a private person, didn't give a lot of interviews and certainly didn't ever go on a big tour, do, do concerts, he did appear publicly for that cause. And he would go to, in the 80s, he would go to Beatles Fest uh, to raise money for gun control. Um, and sometimes would get up on stage and like, sing a song with the, the Beatles cover band that they had at, at some of those Beatles fests. And he would do things like that that he probably you know, never would have considered doing previously, but he was happy to do to raise awareness uh, for gun control.
0: And 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 so you know, just sort of that period, I guess, when you know y- you were young. Like, um, was he s- still writing music, or was he just enjoying sort of um, being a, a dad or a, a family person? Like, I I'm just as as much as you want to get into, I want to respect yeah your privacy. Um, yeah, um, this was definitely.
1: A- probably more domesticated uh, period of his life. And, uh, he and my mom had a lot of kids. Uh, and then he was also working on disparate creative projects um, and different ideas for like theater productions. Like he wanted to do, these are things that never fully came to fruition. Maybe there's some like song snippets that, that came out of it, but he wanted to do a musical about Zapata, the Mexican revolutionary. And I think he was working with Perry Bodkin on that. And he had another idea for a musical about the Wright brothers. Oh, wow. And I don't, I don't know how far it got in development, but I think it was really animated by just his love of the pun that he wanted to use for the title. He wanted it to be called, How Right You Are. <laughs> 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 um, and, you know, and he worked just little things like he worked on this, this Ziggy, you know, the cartoon character, Ziggy. Sure, he, yeah. he wrote a song for this uh, Ziggy Christmas special that, that, that won an Emmy uh, in the eighties. Uh, just lots of these little projects he worked on. This Yoko Ono um, cover record. It was um, called Every Man Has a Woman. I think that was
0: 1984. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so, so he came out to do that. But so he would, yeah. It's well, first of all, it's very hard to get a Broadway uh, uh, musical done. I mean, it mm-hmm. is the. It's harder than getting a TV show. Uh, it's made. It's harder than getting a film made. It takes you know forever. There's some you know. But he, but he was sort of like pursuing those, you know, creative endeavors. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I I, want to talk about, you know, he does the amazing uh, end credit song for Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King. Yeah. Which, um, and
1: that was probably one of the last things he recorded. And I was, you know, very near the end of his life. How about you? I think it's called.
0: Yeah, um, that is you know, again playing into the vocal range that he had at the time. I think it's quite beautiful, um, mm-hmm. and and um, and then, yeah, your your father. Uh, uh, I I just lost my father um, a couple of months ago, but your father passed away. You were very young that that must have mm-hmm. been. It's just not easy and stuff. So you know, but are, how involved are you what is your day-to-day it's just in terms of like there's a great catalog there are demos the management of keeping this musical legacy alive um how does how does that work um and and you know like a great box set that great box set which mm-hmm. I, I gave so i don't own one myself because i bought someone that has a gift it's like here you need to have yeah. the harry nelson records <laughs> But like, is that part of your your work? I don't
1: personally work on that too much. I mean, all credit for that goes to my mom, Una, who
0: spearheaded who seems it. Like, Spirit about from... the loveliest person in the world.
1: Oh yes, she is. She definitely yeah. is. Um, but yeah, so she's the one who's like spearheaded these projects. Like, there was a, a definitive biography that came out a few years ago about my dad, um, the box set, which is really important to get all that stuff in one place all the rca albums all the demos and Beautiful. great little gems on there um the documentary that was really important to get that made and just uh, get all these people who knew him to record you know their memories that prosperity. documentary
0: um uh, is essential it's uh mm-hmm. it's, called, it's called who is harry nelson why is everybody talking about him and yeah it, that to me when i saw that for the first time i i was i was obviously a fan of harry nelson i was curious but i was to see all of these people who loved your dad so much like that documentary it's definitive
1: yeah um and then the other big project was this my dad's last album that he recorded uh which is called lost and found came out i think in 2019 these are like songs he's been recording really in the last uh, years of his life, in the last weeks of his life. Um, and working with a producer named Mark Hudson and Mark Hudson got in the studio with some of my dad's friends. My brother, Kifo Nelson, who's a bass player a very talented musician, participated in this. And uh, they put together this final record, uh, which is you know, amazing just to, to, to get that. So I think um, a lot of those projects you know, my mom is done and my brother Kifo and Kifo has also done this great thing in terms of the legacy. Um, if he's done these great point shows, you know, we haven't talked about the point. Yeah, I uh, saying, animated I was just, movie. I was going to ask you like,
0: <laughs> at what point in your life did you watch the point? Um, which is this great, um, record that comes with a booklet, yeah. but is also an animated cartoon special completely out of the mind of, of, of your father. And like, yeah, were you little? Did you see it when you were little?
1: Yeah, I'm sure I did. I I don't have any memories of not being familiar with it. It Just, just, you know, I've I've absorbed that from the womb on. Um, But, you know, the point is fantastic. I love the album version, which my dad does the narration to it. And he had a beautiful speaking voice and you can hear him like turning the pages, It's very charming. Um, And then the like the version that you can see, like the DVD version now, and, and what came out on VHS that some of us millennials saw as kids was uh, narrated by Ringo Starr. The original TV broadcast was narrated by Dustin Hoffman.
0: Yeah, I um, always I always wonder about it, <laughs> it. like um I I I've only seen it through uh Ringo the, the Ringo Starr version. Yeah. Um. I'm yeah. Forty three, but um, it aired I, I guess one time. Dustin Hoffman did the narration, mm-hmm. um, and I I don't know maybe Dustin uh, like hey man why are you be in uh, the come on but I think it's good to have Ringo do it like <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I th- I think it, both versions are great I, I I've heard the Dustin Hoffman narration too and um but I, I mentioned my brother doing these point shows
0: and yeah what he, is what is he doing
1: yeah it's well there's gonna be one coming up in June um at Theatricum Botanicum in Tapanga Canyon. Um, but basically what he does is he performs the whole album in its entirety with a full band. And each performance, he has a different narrator come in. Oh, wow. Um, and so he's had some great special guests. So the, the last one he did back in December, John C. Riley did the narration. Um, wow. That was a really special event. Um, and so that's, I mean, and I think one of the things that's inspired my brother is like because my dad didn't perform live and make that a part of his career. Yeah. Nilsson fans haven't heard these songs live. They haven't had that experience of like it's, sitting it's, in a crowd with other people singing along, you know, so they get that with the point shows.
0: It's worth noting, like, yeah, like throughout all this, like Nilsson, he made all these records. Your dad didn't, again, the completely singular artist. Like it, 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 it couldn't happen today, but like, yeah. and it must've drove the label crazy. Your dad didn't tour. Yeah. There was very little live performance of your yeah. father and um i why why didn't he go out on tour um ever there was never a, i like, mean nelson concert tour yeah i think there's
1: a lot of different reasons that he gave over the years uh, for why he didn't do it probably there was a stage fright element He was way more comfortable in the studio that's and he wanted to be a musician who could just be a musician and a songwriter and not have to be a performer in that way. It's almost yeah. like he felt like those were two different jobs. And, that, and it wasn't his calling to be uh, a performer on stage in the same way. Um, but one of his lines about why he didn't perform live that I've always liked is he said it was the one thing he could do as an artist, not performing live, that the Beatles hadn't already done. <laughs> ah. Yes. <laughs> so True. I think he you know he, he it was just it was a singular decision as you said and uh, probably stemming from insecurities and then just just and he didn't want to do and another thing he talked about is that when you perform live for your fans they're usually coming to see whatever your biggest hits were from the last album or two albums ago and they're gonna cheer the loudest for those songs and maybe aren't gonna be as you know, sympathetic to your newer stuff if you're going in a new direction and you get influenced by how the crowd is reacting to you. So maybe you don't go in a new direction because wow. you're only getting the feedback, the positive feedback about the stuff you did before. Um, so he felt it could skew, you know, his idea of what he wanted to do in his career and his songwriting.
0: That's f- fascinating. And in this era that we live in with social media, with where People can really get caught up with external validation. You know, uh, uh, my friend uh, Tom Sharpling says like, you know, Twitter has the great effect of making you feel like you've accomplished something when you've actually done nothing, you know, (laughs) likes and retweets, you know, and, um, you know, not like, and yeah, it's true. When you go see, I'm going to go see, I'm very lucky. I got Paul McCartney tickets. I've never seen him before i'm gonna congrats saying, i know i was like uh there's there's no one i can call like i'm sure probably there is but i feel weird about it And i just was like i'm gonna ticket master and cost yeah. how much okay fine um <laughs> like i've never seen a uh paul mccartney so i i got tickets but yeah he he's gonna play some of the you know his new songs are actually kind of really good but like yeah it's the time when people go get a a beer at the concession stand. It's just like, we're going to do a new one if it's a, a legacy act. And mm-hmm. it makes sense with your father uh, who was always sort of thinking about the next thing and the next piece of music and the next project that to mm-hmm. not want to take in that influence makes so mm-hmm. much sense. But I, 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 I'll, I'll say this. Uh, so my uh, cl- close friend uh, since we were teenagers um, is Natasha Lyon. And um, obviously, um, I think you've been, your family's been getting some checks, I hope, from Netflix, uh, because uh, Gotta Get Up, which is the first track off Nilsson Schmolzen, is heavily featured in, in Russian Doll. Um, mm-hmm. uh, did, have you seen an influx of, from that? Yeah, I mean, what a wonderful thing. I think it was just um, an inspired
1: choice she used it so beautifully in the show uh, it just fits so perfectly and it it's kind of that sweet spot of a song that is immediately catchy and it's an earworm but i'm sure most of the people watching it couldn't idea it as a harry Nilsson song um and so it didn't get old too quickly maybe some viewers will disagree <laughs> it was repeated so many times but yeah. i think it, well, they, it yeah. really you can listen to it a lot and it, it didn't there was, it was something fresh about it even though it was recorded in the early 70s um and i think it probably we introduced tons of new people to Harry Nelson, um, which is just so awesome. I, I noticed briefly on uh, Spotify, um, Sony, the the label that the, the successor to RCA, they relabeled the song on Spotify "Get Out" as featured on Netflix's Russian Doll. Russian doll yeah, I mean, <laughs> so it really. Definitely
0: it's a it's a centerpiece it's and it's used in the, uh, the second season I think people it's been out now it's used very brilliantly in the second season as well um mm-hmm. but um yeah natasha um I I she's pretty busy and and and, and going through a lot of, of stuff right now the, 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 the success of that show is sort of like what the, very very surprising um like we like yeah we thought it'd be good but that it resonated with so many people but she should do the narration for the point i'd like to see her narrate the point oh yeah (laughs) from your lips to god's ears that'd
1: be amazing yeah i'll put that
0: i i I, my job is usually to be like no i block it but that sounds fun (laughs) i'd like to see that um well this has been just a, a a pleasure i mean i feel like you know we could talk about your your dad's music forever and um uh, you know there's there's so much that we haven't you know even touched on like i I do I'll ask you two more things and then we'll wrap up. Um,
1: right. I
0: mentioned your dad is uh, you know was definitely an an athlete. There's the great commercial uh, uh, for do it Mwan, let's see well he
1: he pronounced it do it on Monday do it on monday right do it on
0: monday so it's a it's a later harry Nilsson. album but there's i guess rca gave him some money to shoot a commercial and yeah you talk about that commercial because i think it's great
1: yeah so so he was kind of squabbling with them about how much they were going to promote the record and i don't think they wanted to give much of a budget for a tv ads so that's going to be too expensive you know we'll do radio ads instead My bet. Like and he said i'll make a deal with you if i can produce a commercial for less than i think it was five thousand dollars then will you agree to, you know, pay to have it aired?
0: Air essentially it,
1: yeah. Yeah, and uh, he called up his, his close friend, Stanley Dorfman, who was, uh, well, he's still alive, he's still with us, uh, but he is, a, his, in his career, he was a BBC, uh, I think it was called Top of the Pops, um, did this program, and he's the one who, who directed my dad in the BBC concert special and mm-hmm. the a little, a little Touch of Schmelzen special. Um, so he brought him back, uh, to work with him on this commercial and they, he called up the forum. I think it was in LA, um, where the Lakers played at that time. And he asked how much it would cost to rent it for four hours. And the price was very reasonable. And then (laughs) at that time, (laughs) yes. Yeah. And then called in a favor, had Ringo show up, um, to appear. So they're, they're in the basketball stadium. Ringo's sitting in the stands. And the, the whole conceit was my dad was gonna sink a half-court shot and that would be the commercial. Well, he sunk a half-court shot on the first take, but unfortunately something was going on with the cameras. It wasn't fully set up. They didn't catch it on camera. They thought, okay, we're done, we can go home. They could not go home. They had to record it a bunch more times. And then finally he, he got it again. And so they kind of joke in the commercial, they have Ringo looking like he's falling asleep because he's been there for three hours or whatever. Um, but they, they got it in under the wire and uh, made the commercial for, for very little money. And I think um, I think what my dad said to Stanley Dorfman was, you know, th- this is going to cost us, you know, $500 to make, but you keep the difference. Whatever RCA is saying, like, you can right. keep
0: it all. I, I, I love that story because it's just like, um, I'm certainly no athlete, but to, to hit a half court shot That's uh, very difficult. And he did it on the first take, but they didn't didn't get it. It wasn't perfect. It was perfect. It was a perfect shot. And then um, the the last thing I wanted to ask you about is there's another great commercial, which I think your dad was around for, but he's not in, but it's for Ringo Starr's album, Goodnight Vienna, where Hmm. they land a spaceship on the top of the capitol records building and um, i guess he was there but i've always just been obsessed with this commercial because i'm like what on earth is going? like whose idea was this what uh, like
1: yeah um well stanley dorfman also directed that and he was in a helicopter (laughs) he was in a helicopter uh going around the capitol records building while ringo and my dad were on the roof dressed in costumes My dad was dressed in the bathrobe from the Milton Schmelzen cover, and Ringo was dressed like a like uh, a spaceman. (laughs) Space spaceman. I think they were working on the the day that the the day the Earth stood still, like that that kind of image. Um, And they recorded a whole music video up there for, for Ringo's cover of the song "Only You." Um, which is really cool. My dad does the background vocals. So they, yeah, it's a really creatively shot uh, video and you can find it on YouTube. So people you should definitely check that out.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just a great piece of um, ephemera for, for, for Ringo's solo album, which is all the cover of it has always been like very funny. To <laughs> you know. And, um, but yeah, no, hey, I, I I can't thank you enough for uh, sitting and, and chatting about uh, your father and his his legacy and uh uh because I'm I'm just a, a big fan and um and I love what you're doing on TikTok. A lot of people think TikTok is just kids dancing and stuff, but um and yeah they're probably stealing all of our data and listening to us all the time. I know <laughs> it's bad. But what you're doing is so great because you are um you know sharing you know stories uh, about your father and um and and answering questions and it just is is just a, it's a very fun thing that you're thank doing you. and i think people should check it out um thank you so much that's a reason to join tiktok It uh, <laughs> it, it learns what you're interested in it's just like, if yeah. you're interested in people dancing, it'll show you the people dancing, but you know, somehow it figured out me real quick. And it was just like, no, you want to see um, somebody uh, talk about Harry Nilsson and uh, uh, great detail. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and you're doing, yeah, it's just such a a fun, great thing. And I hope it's um, fun for you. I And cause you do a great it, job with
1: yeah, it. Yeah, it is. And it's great to interact with people who are you know, they're like, "How did this video find me? How did TikTok know that I?" <laughs> Just yeah. like you were saying, Um, and it's fun to interact with, with people who love my dad as much as I do.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm one of them, Uh and anybody that is uh, here is, I I imagine, also uh, a big a big fan. What's your? Fa- I'll I'll ask you this: and then we'll Go, do you have a favorite uh, album, or you know? Um- I, I can never answer that really Music but i enough. i will say
1: like um vocals just for vocals i love Nelson sings newman i just think it's the sweetest 25 minutes of album you know that uh, you can it's also listen to. Such,
0: a, such an interesting thing it's just like to just i'm gonna do a bunch of brandy newman covers these i like these yeah. songs. you know yeah And oh, I'm sorry. One final thing, because I think it's it's important. Your father is responsible for like the first remastered remix album, I think, ever. With um, uh, you know, it's uh, where he took aerial pandemonium ballet. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That record is incredible, and I think people can get into arguments about which version they like better. But it was sort of after the success of Nielsen Schmelzen. Mm-hmm. Do you know like what was the impetus like to go back in and and like go oh, I'm going to remix this I'm cuz I think that yeah. is a beautiful record mm-hmm. on its own I think it's probably a combination of things
1: like I think the studio technology had improved and he would listen back to his first albums and wish that he had access to more tools to play around with in the studio so just that was very appealing and then probably he gained a lot of confidence as he put out a few albums and had more of a like his creative vision Probably had changed, and so I think it was appealing to him to be able to go back and, and rework those with the new perspective he had on who he was as an artist. Um, so yeah, I think I've I've read that too that that's the
0: first of its kind. I, I think so. Yeah. It's it's certainly You know, you know, Madonna did her "You Can You Can Dance" album with uh, remixes and and things, but uh, that was much later. It, it's mm-hmm. such a. I I just personally like that. I mean i don't dismiss the other two albums but i, I think that's such a great record and yeah uh, i've always been curious as so like what you know obviously there's a commercial uh instinct to do it from from the label and stuff but there's clearly such a creative instinct there which you just you just validated olivia yeah i can't thank you enough this has uh been a pleasure and People can find you on uh, on, on social media. Uh, what is where where, where do people the, find you? The handle is at official
1: Nelson on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I think on TikTok it's like at the official Nelson or something like that. Yeah, and
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, if you if you need a little dose of Harry Nelson in your day, Olivia has it for you. Thank you so much. This has been a Thank
1: pleasure.
0: Thank you. This is really fun. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Fogelness Plus is my podcast platform and streaming video on demand service. Totally listener supported and ad free. You can get my weekly podcast, I Did This First with Jake Fogelness, starting at just $5 a month. There's been a new episode every week since August of 2020 and the show keeps going. After signing up at www.jake.army, you can watch it as a TV show or listen wherever you listen to podcasts. There's also bonus and VIP tiers, which offer even more episodes. For all the info you need, go to www.jake.army and find out how you can support Fogelmess Plus on Patreon. Episodes on this feed will come and go, so you don't want to miss anything. Sign up today, www.jake.army.